Technical production for The Aaron Rupar Show is provided by Studio Americana, an audiobook and podcast production company based in Minneapolis, serving clients nationwide. I always say to these guys, because they're always quoting all the president's men. They always give you that look, but follow the money. It's like, sure. Yeah, okay. So let's just let's just do a, a mental uh, exercise. How many climate scientists have you seen driving sports cars? The answer is zero. How many oil executives have you seen flying in private jets? The answer is all of them. So if we're following the money, who is profiting off of the climate? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Aaron Rupar Show. Today, I have the funniest guest that I've ever had in the show, which uh, maybe isn't saying a whole lot, but he is literally a comedian, Jay Black, who does uh, stand-up. He does a lot of funny social media videos. Uh, this week, he's been doing a really funny roast of Ben Shapiro's review of Barbie. Uh, you can find all of that stuff on his Twitter account, but I actually got to know Jay three or four years ago when, as we talked about during our interview, he was kind of a reply guy in uh, my tweets, often cracking jokes, uh, roasting Republicans, and uh, started following him. And I've really watched his Twitter account grow over the years, where I think he's up around like 50,000 followers and he's doing a stand-up tour. So um, if you didn't know better just from Twitter, um, obviously he's very funny, but he has this whole thriving career as a comedian, which we get into uh, we talk also a lot about kind of the landscape of comedy these days. I mean, there's sort of the meme of right-wing comedians having the one joke, uh, which is a transphobic joke about identifying as like a helicopter or something like that. So we, we talk about how much truth there is to that meme, uh, kind of the evolution of comedy over the past 20 years as society has gotten more respectful and uh, in some ways more sensitive too, which is probably a good thing, but it's introduced some complications for comedians like Jay. And so we talk about how he deals with that and a whole lot more. So I hope you enjoy our conversation before we get to it. Just want to remind people that it really helps uh, if you're listening to this or watching it on YouTube to subscribe to the show, uh, click like where you can and share it with your friends just to spread the word about what I'm up to here. And uh, as we go forward now into August, I am back in the routine of recording these shows on Wednesday and dropping them first thing Thursday. So look for new episodes every Thursday into August and beyond that. So uh, without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Jay. Welcome, everyone, to the Aaron Rupar Show. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Jay Black. Uh, I feel like I've known Jay for years and years and years on Twitter uh, yes. At first, you were just kind of in my replies. I didn't know who you were, but uh, Jay is a very funny comedian, internationally renowned, touring the country right now, um, or soon, at least. Yes. And, um, you know, one of the things, maybe a good place to kind of start a conversation today is that I'm assuming a lot of people, if you follow me on Twitter, probably also follow Jay, at least a good cross-section. Uh, your following is actually kind of blowing up, uh, despite the decline of Twitter. It seems like um, you've been growing and growing which is a testament to how funny a lot of the content you put out there is. You do little comedy videos and crack jokes and all sorts of good stuff. But actually, in preparation for this, I watched some of your stand-up. I watched the set that you posted on your website of you in Vegas. Um, it was the clean edit, unfortunately, but um, <laughs> there was yes. a lot of good jokes about marriage and families and culture and all that sort of good stuff. But one thing that I thought was kind of conspicuous by its absence was any political humor. Um, yeah. You definitely like to own the cons on uh, social media. You had a really funny video this week about Ben Shapiro kind of mocking his review of the Barbie movie, which I know you saw over the weekend. But maybe explain that to me. Just what, what's the the thought process or the idea behind kind of refraining from political humor? Is that just like too toxic of an area? Even for, you know, you do stand up. I'm assuming most of your audience understands that you're left of center politically, but um, sure. could that alienate some of your fans if you, you know, started mocking Trump or something like that? So first off, I want to say that the uh, Ben Shapiro review is actually still going on. It's we're in day seven of the Ben Shapiro review. He's still reviewing Barbie. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think what happened was in all honesty, I started doing stand up in 2002. And I, you know, no, when I perform at a club, there is a group of people that know who I am, presumably from Twitter. Uh, but there's also a large group of people that don't know who I am. And part of getting over on a crowd that doesn't know who you are is finding ways through their defenses and getting their defenses down. And, the, you know, I have a joke in my act where I do a dirty joke 
And then I go, uh, all right, well, let's switch the subject to something that doesn't offend anybody, politics. <laughs> and it is one of the biggest laughs that I get. And it's like it's like watching like an EKG chart where it's like big boop. And then, oh, no, like because they're worried about where it's going. Sure. Not so much that I'm even going to step on their own personal political beliefs, but all of them look around going, is this the start of a viral video? Right. right. Is he going to go down a path that's going to get beer bottles thrown at him? And uh, I I think I just in all honesty, I you, we talked about this before we hopped on the show and I've been thinking about it for three days. Like, why don't I do a lot of politics in my act? And I think I just, it, you know, I, I work with Kevin Nealon all the time and he has uh, from SNL and he has a great bit about um, being a people pleaser, you know, like his whole thing. I think I'm a people pleaser. Like, I think when I get in front of a group of people, my urge is like song and dance, man. Like, I just want to make you laugh. Let's just sure. go. And I, I find talking about my family and, and life is the, the quickest way to make the most amount of people laugh. And uh, in all honesty, your question put me into existential crisis. Uh, oh, no. I mean, I, did I you lost, do that? Well, I'm sitting here going, do should I bring more in? You know, <laughs> is there a path to talking about it? And I guess the real question is, can I change your mind? with a joke at a comedy club and i i don't know i mean it's possible i suppose you know or am i just you know reconfirming the beliefs to the people who agree with me yeah. and pissing off the people can i say that i don't mean to uh, sorry oh yeah for you, no no yeah. it's uh yeah I've, I've never i've never fixed any sort of uh parental advisory or anything i think we've had a few f-bombs and shits and things like that but um yeah well anyway. if, you had, if you've ever had rick wilson on i'm sure uh <laughs> yeah uh the, the old radio uh thing was you could say pissed off you can't say pissed on that's how they sure. uh, okay you, yeah, yeah. Uh, put it to me but yeah I, I you know i it's one of those things of like uh i i started from a place where politics was not a very big deal to me 21 right. years uh, 22 years ago 21 years ago yeah. and you know when i came back to twitter in 2020 um it was specifically to see if I could make a dent in the way people thought about Donald Trump and, and the election, you know? So sure. I, I feel like that that's probably the reason why. Yeah. Cause you know, I'm probably misremembering things a little bit, but when I was a kid, uh, my parents were heavy watchers of David Letterman and kind of be on mm -hmm. after the news. And, um, you know, not that he was like the funniest comedian of all time or like he wasn't doing stand up, obviously, but, um, you know, in the nineties, at least it's, it still seemed possible to kind of skewer, politicians both left and right and kind of do it you know in a funny way but in a way that didn't like kind of cross boundaries or really offend people or like get right. people's defenses up um you know maybe again that could be kind of my you know reflecting on my childhood and kind of um putting a gloss on things that wasn't really there but you know obviously i think people now are so touchy about politics and it's so polarizing that i could see you know jokes about trump or something like that kind of landing in an awkward place. Although, again, you know, I just, I just wonder if your audience is kind of mostly fellow travelers with you where they would laugh along with you and not be uncomfortable by that. I'm not I'm not sure. Well, you know, it it really depends. I, I had an incident uh, a few months ago where I, I told the most benign Trump joke you could possibly tell. I mean, like really kind of light orange crayon kind of Trump joke. And I had a guy uh, flip out, like screaming at me and they ejected him from the club and i was about to leave and the club owner was like hey you just like stay here we got to go move that guy because he's at your car and i'm like wow well, i mean i yeah so like you know he was obviously a violent deranged person or a trump fan uh you know they're sort of synonymous um, but you know, that never happened when you made a joke about George W. Bush, right? Like if you sure. made a W joke, W is dumb. People might go, I don't think you're funny, but nobody yeah. got violent about it. And I think it was the second people started identifying themselves through their political organizations that it, it got violent. You know, there's a, yeah. there's a great Patton Oswalt movie, uh, the fan, right? Um, uh, which is about you know you're a baseball fan uh but it's giant he's a giants fan and he's you know uh, mentally unstable because his entire life is built around the giants and we know people like this i used to work in philadelphia sports radio you know insanos like this right <laughs> 
And we all sort of identify them as insanos. Like you can enjoy football without killing anybody. Like, or, yeah. you know, the fact that there's a jail or there was a jail at Veterans Stadium at one point, you know, this is not a thing that needs to happen. And I, I think that somehow, because I think politics maybe is, it does affect our lives directly in a way that sports doesn't. Maybe we're more accepting of insanity when it comes to, to political identifications, because, you know, even on our side, every election for the last, you know, 12 years has been a fight for democracy. It seems like this yeah, yeah, is yeah. the election that defines democracy. And it's, you know, when you start to think of it in terms like that, like these insanos, the QAnon insanos, if they truly believe that there is like trafficking going on, well, of course they're nuts. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. how do you like explain to them, hey, maybe not care about Trump so much, like maybe just like live a life and have a family. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, yeah. Right. But that's I think, that, yeah, uh, but it's that thing of like, we are, but no, there's trafficking. And it's like, well, how do you undo all of the brainwashing that has gone on where you got to start from the premise of like, there's not, yeah. though, you know, like, well, I've been in also, yeah, well, there's also, I mean, Trump has really been leaning into the trafficking stuff. I mean, he, yeah. you know, he just had a big video the other day where one of his big proposals is to put traffickers to death. And, yeah. you know, it seems like that's become, yeah. I mean, across the Republican Party, where like this obsession with trafficking, and I'm not trying to minimize human trafficking, no. but like, you know, if, if you rank the, the top issues facing the country one to 20, I don't really think it lands in there. I mean, it's kind of, you know, sadly, it's it's a thing that's happened, you know, going back uh, millennium at this point. And it's just, you know, it is kind of weird that Republicans have become so obsessed. And I do think it's kind of an outgrowth of QAnon. But also, you're right that like, if someone is a true believer that Democrats are involved in some sort of trafficking operation or at least like enabling it. Like, how do you find any sort of like middle ground or place where you can actually deal with people like that? I mean, they're so far gone that um, right. it's almost preposterous to think that you could have a constructive conversation over like tax policy or right, you know, yeah. infrastructure. Yeah. If you believe that Joe Biden is drinking adrenochrome, it's really difficult to get into the weeds on like an energy bill, you know, like, right. it's like, you know, Oh, he's a murderer of children. You have to understand that. It's like, I don't think he is, but let's, I, and that is when we talk about like, when the chapter is written about the internet, that's what it's going to be is a, a large group of people who are not internet savvy, uh, the boomers and the elder uh, gen Xers, who were trained to believe that if it was written down on a website that looked like it was official, it is therefore true because it has yep. been vetted by a group of editors and not just one guy in a dirt farm in upstate, you know, New Jersey, right. uh, falling down a path of believing that we are in, you know, the craziest 1970s spy novel that has ever been written and that there's vast conspiracies everywhere you look. You know, the, the fringe has become uh, the center on the Republican Party. And the problem is there's no the second you say, like, even you had to couch it with uh, this is obviously a very big problem. We all agree that if children are being kidnapped out of their house to be, you know, drunk by Tom Hanks, that would be a problem. <laughs> yes, that is the problem. But like the second you go, hey, that's not happening. The response on that side is, oh, so you're part of it. Yeah, or you're a groomer, oh, so you or, yeah. you agree with it, right? That's what you want to happen. It's like no, no one wants that to happen. But how many kids in your town have been kidnapped out of their house? I mean, in all honesty, that you know of, yeah. right? Yeah, none of them know anybody that this is happening to. Yet they believe that one in four children are being drunk at Hollywood parties, sure. and that's problematic. They, they see it on the Gateway Pundit, and you know, I think my my first window into this was in 2016. I have an aunt who on Facebook, you know, she was a big Trump supporter and she'd be sharing these stories from like Ben Carson's, you know, like bencarson.com yeah. or like truepatriot.net, you know, and it was exactly what you were talking about where, you know, it's it's an older boomer woman who like has kind of good intentions. I mean, she's a family member of mine. I, I know her. She's, you know, a nice person by most standards, but like just doesn't have any, any sort of media literacy where right. anything that she sees that has, you know, at all an official looking website or looks like a news site, she's inclined to believe that. And so... You know, I do think, you know, it seems kind of simplistic, but, you know, it seems like it would be pretty healthy for like high school, you know, public school students to have like some sort of media literacy class just to understand how to vet good info from bad info. And now, of course, you know, we just see it. It doesn't need to be on Ben Carson's site anymore. We just get it on Twitter, um, right. where, of course, the big, you know, the big contra controversy yesterday was Elon Musk kind of coming out as an anti-vaxxer and then 
community notes, fact checking. You know, he's trying to link the Bronny James cardiac arrest with right. uh, the vaccine. Uh, a community notes came out and fact checked him, pointed out that um, actually, you know, if you have COVID, you're much more likely to have a cardiac issue than you are, you know, from the vaccine. And then, you know, that fact check was actually removed from his tweet. So <laughs> we've, kind of, we've kind of gone to the next step where it's like not only is Elon kind of facilitating the spread of disinformation, but they're actually promoting it by removing fact checks of, you know, dangerously false tweets. So, you know, we've gone from 2016 where you had to find this, this kind of fake news on these fringe, you know, Russian looking websites. So now you can just get it right on Twitter. Yeah. And you know, what's, you know, we talk about the boomers being, uh, you know, apt to believe what they read on the other side, you know, the Elon, you know, incel anime army, that he's put together, they have an opposite problem, which is they don't believe in anything. And what I mean is they have so engaged in nihilism, you know, and and really the heartbreaking thing for me online is Elon, I don't know if Elon believes in anything except engagement from his Twitter fan base, you know, and, you know, it's sort of the Donald Trump thing of if I sit like I'll say or do anything that'll rile you up. And then if you get riled up, I just go, hey, what? Whoa, whoa, I'm just I'm just joking. I'm just throwing right. stuff out there. You know, it's good to have the conversation. Uh, and I I do think that the, the starting block for you know a lot of extremist activity is you know these these people that don't believe in anything that make jokes about vaccines that may or may not be true that they don't care about that they're just throwing the idea out there and i i do believe that if you repeat something over and over again out loud it goes from joke to philosophy faster than you believe mm-hmm. and i think that's why a, a bunch of these alt-right guys you know the nick fuentes of the world where every video he does he's got like a little ain't i cute smile right you know as he's spewing anti-semitism but it's like oh you know and it's it's a way to say uh you know i i'm just saying whatever it takes to to make the people that you find upsetting liberals or whatever you know uh i'm just riling them up uh but it's not based in any kind of firmly held belief uh except their own power or or um uh you know clout yeah. And and it's it's the, the belief, you know, it's not even a belief, but it's like the, the overarching goal is to own the libs, basically, and to get them mad, riled up, you know, and then and, and that's kind of the RFK Jr. thing, too, where it's like, say out, outrageous shit, get called out on it, deny that you ever said it, you know, right. um, it's, it's a very kind of tried and true playbook. Technical production for the Aaron Rupar show is provided by Studio Americana an audiobook and podcast production company based in Minneapolis, serving clients nationwide. Studio Americana specializes in high-quality recording, editing, and production services. They work with authors and publishers looking to meet the growing demand for audiobook content. Their team of producers and editors ensure the process is easy and efficient. They also assist with equipment, voice coaching services, voice talent for audiobook narration, and professional podcasts. If you're ready to get started, go to studioamericana.com forward slash contact to set up a meeting. Let's keep it slightly here. I want to ask straight up, have you watched any of Gutfeld's Fox News show? Uh, Just like you, because we talked about that, just like you in the beginning, I hate watched it. And I, I could, and listen, I know some of the guys on that show, some of the comics, and I, wow. they're good. Okay. They're good guys. They're good comics. At least my interactions with them. But that show is a black hole of comedy. Uh, it really is. Like if you sent George Carlin from like 1986 on that show, the bad mojo would just suck all the funny out of him. Richard Pryor. 1977 Richard Pryor would sit on that set going I don't I I don't know what to say. They are <laughs> it, it is an it is an anti-comedy show and yet I believe his ratings are uh 900% of America has watched him every yeah. night for the last 3 it's years. Crazy. I don't get it. Because yeah. well, you might you might remember that, um, you know, for people who who may not know what we're talking about, because it's a little bit um, obscure or maybe not, because like we were talking about, the ratings are really high. But Gutfeld, you know, Greg Gut- Gutfeld, he is a Fox News personality. Um, he does a comedy show that I think these days runs at the 10 p.m. Eastern time slot. Yep. 
and um, his ratings have routinely been above Kimmel and Fallon. Now, I know that there's some kind of caveats to this because I don't believe it's like a total head to head. I think there's like a half an hour difference in when the shows right. start. Um, so it's not, you know, completely apples to apples. But I mean, by any standard, the ratings have been really, really strong. And the idea is that it's kind of a right wing comedy show. But if you watch it, it's a lot of kind of like mean jokes about Hunter Biden and, you know, Hunter you know, Hunter Biden is probably the number one target of jokes in terms of him abusing drugs and this and that. Yeah. And so, you know, there's kind of a spirit of meanness to it. And, you know, when the show debuted in early 20, 2021, uh, I watched the first like couple weeks and really had this expectation that it just, you know, it wasn't long for this world because the rating, you know, the, the reviews right. were really bad. People were panning it. And yet, shockingly bad. Not only is it still existing, but they just moved it into a better time slot. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, there is kind of this you are probably more of an expert in terms of like the terrain of stand up these days than I am. You know, I kind of catch like the big specials, things like that. But like, yeah, there's kind of this meme on social media of conservatives having one joke and the one joke being that, you know, <laughs> I, I identify as a lawnmower or whatever. Um, you know, is there some truth to that? I mean, I guess I'm not really sure if there is kind of like a thriving conservative comedy scene. I know Politico had a big article last year on how right wing comedy is getting better. I mean, that's also kind of been a meme. Uh, right. There was a tweet at one point about like how, you know, right wing comics are getting better and it's making the left nervous or something like that, which was an earnest an earnest comment, I think, from like a New York Times person. But I don't really see a lot of evidence. Uh, what, what's your read? I mean, what is the state of right wing comedy so, right now? So there's a great book. That's not funny. Um, I'm, I'm going to get the uh, the the author here. Hold on one second. Um, that's not funny. It's a book about conservative comedy. Um, and I just read it. It's by Nick Marks and Matt Sinkowicz, um, which is uh, and Gutfeld comes up. Stephen Crowder comes up. I mean, there is something to to the effect. Uh, I think uh, Gail Simone on Twitter said, how come all these guys are failed screenwriters or failed comedians that pivot to the right wingo sphere? Um, I, I think it honestly comes down to this. Number one, the one joke thing is absolutely true. I have seen variations on i identify as in comedy clubs for the last three years my opening acts i never say anything to the opening acts but if you make that joke i won't talk to you after your set because <laughs> just because there's no reason to you're never going to do anything in comedy because that's a terrible joke it's just a terrible joke i i worked with a kid uh i won't say where because i don't want to identify him but his closer was um you know, his, his final joke before the, he brought me up was uh, I've been really killing it at basketball this year. I mean, I I uh, I identify as a 10 year old, so I play in the 10 year old league. So I'm doing really well. And the rapturous response by the crowd. I mean, you would have thought, you know, it's that, like that scene from um, uh, 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 what's the camp movie that I'm thinking of with uh, Michael Ian Black. Um, um, wet hot American summer. Okay. When the comedian okay. comes out and he's doing the old uh, Catskill jokes and people ah, screaming. Um, I, I still think that what it comes down to with right wing comedy and what the left doesn't understand about right wing comedy is that comedy always pushes back against the status quo. Okay. Whoever you think is in charge is kind of who you're, you're jabbing at. Sure. And, you know, earlier you were talking about sort of the the benign comedy of like Carson and Letterman jabbing at politicians. It, it, that power dynamic there is politicians and regular people that there is a you know, I can make fun of Clinton. I can make fun of uh, George Bush or Ronald Reagan, but it's us against them. Um, we as liberals. I think rightly so, show, uh, so see a uh, power dynamic where there is a constant push from the right to strip power away from marginalized people. And our jokes are at, at attacking them without attacking marginalized people would be the ideal. I think the right views the world. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit in email. There is the, the real front in the culture war is convincing people who's in charge. And there are groups of people, vast swaths of people who truly believe that marginalized groups like like trans people and gay people have power over them, which is patently ridiculous. If you just look at the, the power dynamics of, of, of politics for like the last, I don't know, 18,000 years on the yeah. planet. Yeah. Um, but they so when right wing comedy is about punching at those people, not from a place of power punching down, even though that's what it is. But in their mind, it is a politically correct 
uh, oligopoly, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, a group of of trans people and gay people and black people and women who are telling you how to live. Right. right. There's no real power there. It's just a group of people kind of calling you a jerk if you say it. But right. like th but that's the power that they have over you. And before the one joke of of uh, I identify as there was a, the one joke you would hear from right wing uh, comics all the time was, aren't you tired of this political correctness? Well, I'm yeah. going to go. I'm going to I talk a little bit crazy. And if you don't like it, you can leave now. Woo! Buy my T-shirt. You know, like that's that's yeah. the path that it goes down. Uh, but I really do think that right wing comedy and Gutfeld in particular, there is so many people who really feel like they are under the thumb of of marginalized people and liberals and Democrats that anybody punching at those people gets a pass in their mind. And, you know, we see it as not being very funny, but they see it as liberating because these people are, you know, they're attacking who you can't attack. And right. Yeah. yeah. Th has, that's has my that thought. It, has that made it more? complicated in certain ways i mean you mentioned that you started doing stand-up you know over 20 years ago now and you know i certainly think society has become more respectful where um you know for instance i was recently i i had occasion i wanted actually with one of the trump indictments to re-up the scene from idiocracy the courtroom scene um which right. is it. <laughs> yeah. but like they're dropping f you know the the fa you know the fag yeah. bomb and um there, there's just a lot of language that now you know even in a kind of a context on Twitter where you're joking around wouldn't wouldn't fly. Um, and that's just, I think, in a lot of ways, kind of being respectful of people. Um, so yeah. I, don't have, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. But does that make it as a stand up comedian? I mean, there are certain areas, ways that you can't make fun of people, um, even if you're doing it in kind of a good natured way, which I think that movie tries to. I mean, I don't think it's like a homophobic movie, but um, does that make it more difficult to do stand up? Do you have to be kind of careful not to, you know, sort of ruffle the wrong feathers or, or how does that work when you're putting together your sets? I, I think what it, at least for me, what it means is two things. One, it means uh, doing an extra step of thinking when you're doing the bit. And what I mean by that is I used to have a bit, I mean, it was such a signature bit for me um, where it's, I, my hand does this. I talk like this. I'm, I'm a quarter Italian, but it's all in my wrists, you know? And I, I, my hand goes out and it's an effeminate look. And I used to do a bit about I'm not gay, but my hand is right. <laughs> and I do a whole thing where it's like, uh, you know, dudes head nod at one another. Like, hey, what's up? What's up? And I'm always like, hello, like that. And I was it killed for me. It was like one of those bits that was like I would close with it. And, you know, I would do college conferences and they go, oh, the gay hand guy. And I, I was driving one day and nobody said anything to me. No, like nobody said a word to me about this bit, but I was like, what's the central premise of this bit? Like, why is this bit funny? And the central premise is I'm heterosexual and I don't want anybody to think I'm gay. Sure. But what is that? What is that saying? It's saying gay is bad. Kinda. Right. Right. Am I, if I was a gay kid in my audience, would I feel comfortable coming out? We're being gay around people. If I saw a whole group of people laughing at some guy going, don't think I'm gay like that. I'm not, I, I don't think I'm homophobic. I don't have anything against any group. I don't believe, but there's a central premise of that bit that is a little off-putting if you were in the shoes, you know, of, of a kid in the audience like that. Yeah. So I, I took the bit out hmm. and, it, it it's it's you know, I can write a new bit that doesn't have anything to do with gay people or or you know what I mean like there's okay. a new bit that I can write so if for me it's just like okay I write the bit what's the central premise of the bit and who is going to take what from it is is it it's an extra step and I know that there are comics if they're listening right now going oh man he's selling out I'm like I just want to be respectful I, you know, I'm not trying yeah. to make extra money doing this. I just don't want anybody walking out going, oh, man, unless you're a jerk, in which case I have no problem attacking you. Uh, sure. So that's that's number one. Um, and I think number two, it's being open to hearing criticism after a show. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I had a bit uh, and I still do about my wife being a special ed teacher. And she uses the special ed teacher voice, you know, which is you did a very good job in there after a section. You know? <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I think yeah. that was on your Vegas set that I yeah. saw. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I had a, a, a group of people come up to me that was like, and this is a while ago that said that's ableist language. And I didn't even like, 
I didn't even know what ableist language was. You know, I didn't know the yeah. word ableist. So my first instinct is to get like, whoa, whoa, hey, how dare you? I'm not whatever that ist is. Yeah. Uh, but the second thought is like, okay, explain to me what that is so I can understand it. And then I thought about it for a while and I was like, I don't believe that bitch ableist uh, because sure. I'm I'm attacking the voice that my wife uses as a teacher. Uh, and I've I've swapped it out sometimes for kindergarten teacher. And, yeah. it, it, you know, it, it's it's because the premise isn't about making fun of special ed kids in sure. any way whatsoever. It's about making fun of the voice that my wife uses. But that could have been an incident where I did not uh, where I was pushing back against a group of people without hearing them out. So it's more difficult from the sense of I got to think a little bit more. But I think it's a better place to do that. Like, it doesn't hurt anybody to think a little bit extra about what you're doing. And if I if I mess up, you know, hopefully it will be uh, uh, diffused very quickly because I'll go, oh, boy, I messed up, guys. I'm sorry. Let me yeah. let me figure that out. Well, that wasn't also, attempting to. Yeah. And I think, you know, that kind of comes with the terrain of being a comedian is that you're kind of, you know, you do a lot of line stepping and kind of pushing boundaries. And so. You know, hopefully people don't hold that against you. But, um, you know, what's your kind of your thought? Because, you know, here's another one that I haven't followed super, super close. But obviously, you know, Chappelle has kind of been, yeah. you know, in the news, um, you know, and I guess it's kind of a variation on our conversation about the one joke where that's kind of been, you know, sort of transphobia has become, you know, a central part of his brand in a way that I'm not sure that it was like when I loved his show on Comedy Central, you know, whatever that was 20 years ago now. Yeah. Um, I don't remember that being, you know, kind of a part of his his comedy. And maybe that just wasn't pertinent to the show or maybe they took that out. I'm not sure. But, um, you know, are you kind of afflicted? I watched one of his recent specials and I just kind of came away from feeling mostly kind of sad. Um, you know, yeah. Is that just kind of his own? Do you think that speaks to something kind of deeper going on in comedy or is that just, you know, is that just kind of a, a story about Chappelle as a person at this point? I, I think I think it's both. I mean, I, so first off, let me preface this by saying Chappelle is literally the funniest human currently alive. Hmm. If you know, just from the point of view of if you gave him a topic and said talk, he will make that topic funny. He is uh, like I don't use the word genius. Um, uh, loosely, he is legitimately a genius. That said, what's going on with this trans thing, I think is something I've seen with comics and I've seen it in myself, which is you catch heat for something that you've said. And rather than listen to the people that caught heat, that gave you the heat and try to figure out why they're upset, you start attacking the controversy about the the thing that you said and making fun of it i i think that he is a man who is smart enough and funny enough that if he were to actually you know he talks about his friend who was trans and in, in one of the uh, bits that he did and i do think that that Chappelle is a guy who is playful in the way a lot of gen x comics are you, you mentioned uh the f-bombs you know the gay f-bombs in idiocracy I think that there is a strain of Gen X comedy of which I am part of that lineage where it's you just say whatever you want to say, even if it's crazy or off-putting, because isn't it funny that I just said that, you know, when, when I know I'm uh, uh, di diverting a lot, but when I first started there was Jim Norton was the guy everybody in Philadelphia wanted to be like. And if you don't know Jim Norton, he's a very aggressively sexual comic and every open micer had like really bad sex jokes in their acts so jokes about things that they're doing to to women or having done women paying women to do to you because they're all <laughs> trying to emulate jim norton and uh it, it was this idea of the joke was almost can you believe i'm saying this sure as much as it was a well-constructed joke and i i do think that like the pushback from like you know, as the boomers gave way to the Gen Xers in the 90s, uh, you know, even with like guys like Patton Oswald, who are very liberal now, if you look at his early stuff, there's a lot of stuff in there where you'd be like, ooh, he's hitting the uh, R word pretty hard in that first yeah. special. Yeah. Um, but like more like, you know, I'm not afraid to say this because, you know, part of my my uh, identity is somebody who will say anything to get a laugh. I think sure. Chappelle is part of that. He said something that was playful in his mind that was taken into a dark place by the people who heard it. And the, the mistake that he made was doubling down mm -hmm. on the pushback 
rather than just going like if he had done a special where he was like hey man i messed up and let me tell you how i messed up he would be a conquering hero right now sure Right. And I think what happens with a lot of these guys, you know, and Chappelle is the biggest version of it, but like the Jim Brewers or the, the Rob Schneiders of the world is you, you piss off the left by saying something politically incorrect and the left is waiting for an apology. And rather than give one, you double down and the right embraces you. Mm -hmm. So what are you going to do the next time you tell a joke, you're going to go with the audience that embraced you. Right. And not the one that's rejecting you. And that's how these guys start to drift right. And I think the problem that we have on our side, and I mean this, I said this, I say this on every podcast. I hope somebody on the left will listen to me. We need to give an off ramp to people that mess up in a way that like, you know, the thing about going to jail, at least you have a public debt that you can pay and then be done with. Sure. But like, you know, Lindsay Ellis, she's a person, uh, uh, a video personality. I'm familiar with the name. She, she's brilliant. She's absolutely brilliant. She made a joke about a movie that had an Asian character in it and the internet marshaled against her. And she does not make videos on YouTube anymore because she was like, you know what, guys, I'm out. Like, I can't yeah. do this. anymore. like we drove like they drove her away. And I bet all those people that did the pylon had good intentions as they were doing the pylon. But she apologized. She right. said, I'm sorry. She made a video apologizing. She made a video explaining herself. She made a video attacking the people that wouldn't let her apologize. And still the, the, the mob came after them. We just need to provide people an off ramp. We need to give Chappelle a way to go. I messed up and right. have everybody go. All right, we get yeah. it. You're cool. Move along. Yeah. Uh, because otherwise we drive these guys to the places that we don't want to go. Sure. But I think also, you know, part of that is Chappelle has to show some contriteness on his end, too. And I guess that that right. ingredient hasn't been there either. But um, you also mentioned as we were kind of prepping topics for this, um, it seemed like you were very eager to <laughs> to talk about Elon and the, the X branding and what's going on there. I mean, I know that you're you're a very avid Twitter. You're, you're a Twitter power user at this point, I would say. <laughs> yes. um, are you over on threads? Uh, you know, what's kind of your your assessment? I mean, you've actually, you know, I think. Um, for me, at least like the last year, my Twitter following um, has gone down. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, said people have just kind of left in drips and drabs. And, um, you know, I had a tweet yesterday that people kind of misinterpreted, not that it was going to get me canceled or anything, but I was trying to highlight kind of the absurdity of it seemed like there was a huge exodus, uh, pardon the pun, I guess, but um, with, with this with this with the branding change, you know, yeah. and I kind of listed all the things that Elon has done, um, many of them very reprehensible. And there were people who left, you know, at those stages, too. But this seemed to be kind of the biggest one, um, which to me, you know, changing the, the logo and branding is kind of a, a small sin stacked up to some of the other stuff he's been up to. But, Absolutely. Um, yeah. Are you trying to kind of branch out and get different platforms or, you know, just what's your plan here on social media? Yeah, you know, I I'm on, you know, Blue Sky, I'm on Post, I'm on Spoutable, I'm on Threads. Oh, you you're know. on all of them. Okay. I I I get I try to I do the land grab early on to get the name um and to to get it set up and you know, I the problem with Threads right now and Threads is the first competitor that I think has a chance of absolutely, you know, usurping Twitter. They're just so committed to that algorithmic timeline. Um, you know, basically, if you oh, they, I th I, you they rolled out the chronological right. yesterday. Oh, I'm still. I just, I just wanted to point out that they do have chronological now. As oh, yesterday. they do. Okay, just yes. came out. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, and you know the 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 thing that Twitter always had was like, if you are a Twitter power user, you can define your experience pretty well. You know, lists and everything else. Like, I don't follow a lot of right wingers. I have my right wing uh, dumbass list that I, I can check in with what's going on and reply to people without it showing up uh, where, where Twitter is making the mistake. And again, I get it because it's all about engagement and engagement is how they make their money. Um, you default to the for you thing. And, you know, you go up and you're like, you see 18 tweets from Marsha Blackburn and you're like, wait a second, I don't follow Marsha Blackburn. Yeah. Why am I saying, oh, it's because I interacted with one tweet of hers eight weeks ago. Right. And now the platform's going, look what an idiot she is. Look what an idiot she is. Don't you want to say something? And I do. I want to say something. <laughs> and it works every time. 
There's that guy. What's his name? Joey Mariano. Oh yeah, he's Marinara sauce or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I know you're talking about. Yeah, these guys, and you know the the to a lesser extent, like the Krasen team brothers. You know, am I pronouncing their names correctly? Krasenstein. Yeah, yeah. Krasenstein, where it's engagement farming. It's all engagement farming, and that's not the Twitter that I want. You know, I I want a Twitter that is. Uh, hey, here's an interesting piece of stuff, and now a bunch of smart people are going to make jokes about it, like your timeline, sure. Aaron. Oh, like, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Here, well, that's what I, 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 you know, when Molly Jong Fast was more on Twitter, and I think she's all threads now. She doesn't do a lot of Twitter, but she would do that. Here's something interesting, and then a bunch of parts. Yeah. Rick Wilson. Here's something interesting. Here's a bunch of smart people uh, slamming on it. I love that. Like, I love the the interaction on that. But where it's like, you know, hey. X group is really taking over, don't you think? And then I can feel that part of me that wants to go, yes, I, I don't agree with that, but I'm going to write my reply that you're wrong. And then I'm yeah. like, that's exactly what he wants. Don't do it, Jay. Yeah. Uh, well, I, so- think, I, I think you can relate to this too. Like one of my issues with threads right now is that there really aren't conservatives on there, which like as, yeah. as odd as that sounds, I mean, I kind of, I like that, you know, and you, a lot of your tweets, including many that like blow up huge are in response to conservatives kind of poking fun at them or, you know, cracking a joke of some sort in their replies. And that that dynamic is completely absent from threads. And so it just kind of feels in a way almost kind of like boring in that respect where I do enjoy that kind of give and take. I mean, that, that was one of the beauties of peak Twitter is that pretty much everybody had a platform there. You know, there are very yeah. few holdouts. If you worked, you know, in any sort of, whether you're a comedian or like a journalist or public figure, a brand, like you were on Twitter and it feels like the brands, um, you know, people like that are on threads, but maybe not the conservatives. And so we end up having a lot of screen caps of Elon Musk tweets on threads, but you don't have the actual, <laughs> Yeah, so I, I do miss that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, that's a, actually a really good way of putting it because that has been my biggest issue with threads and I, I haven't been able to articulate it. It hasn't felt as frothy or fun as Twitter did, you know, 2019, 2020. I think I yeah. came back. December 2019, um, you know, and those those years with Trump and through COVID and and uh, everything. The good old days. The good old days. Well, you know, Twitter during COVID, that was like my IV into the world, man. I mean, that was I I spent, you know, I'm sure if you were to do like the the graph of my tweets, like you'll see a spike that is identical to the spike in COVID numbers as it's like, okay, well, what am I going to do? I'm just going to be on Twitter all day long. Right. Um, But yeah, you know, I find myself as much as I was excited for threads, I find myself coming back to Twitter every time. And, uh, you know, it's striking to me. I don't know like why someone hasn't just built like, cause none of the stuff on Twitter is copyrighted, like except for the words maybe. And they're no longer even, you could probably do one with tweets now because it's all zeets or whatever it's going to be. <laughs> yeah. uh, but like, I don't know why someone hasn't just copied the functionality exactly and said, look, it's just, it's Twitter and you can't be a Nazi. Like if that were the pitch, I like what, what would stop you from going you, over you, there? Yeah. You would lose all the Trumpers with the not a Nazi thing, you know, and then it would be like threats. <laughs> well, so, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I mean, but the the thing is, like, the, I don't understand. The right hasn't figured out like Parler, Getter, True Social. They fail immediately because nobody wants to be in a in a, a, a Nazi house, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. right? Yeah, you know, and the stuff that like you know uh, that verges onto that you know where there there should be humans looking at it deciding whether or not it should be on elon has gotten rid of so he's drifting his site more towards those places threads goes the other way and you know i i think it's good i like the moderation on there but the moderation is keeping out the conservatives which right. tells you something about the conservatives yeah yeah no, I hey mean, guys yeah if your movement can't be at a place where you can't say uh, slurs, the 14 words. Yeah. 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 Maybe don't be on that. Like maybe your movement's bad. Maybe right. it's not the place. Maybe it's the movement. Well, they're, use, they're using literal Nazi symbols and DeSantis ads. You know, I mean, that, right? that was yeah. the big, you know, they fired the staffer, but um, that's kind of an undercovered part of the, the right wing at this point is a lot of these young up and coming staffers for people like DeSantis and Trump are Nazis or at least kind of Nazi adjacent. Right. It's a Not difficult so thing. It, it's a difficult thing to talk about. And it's also a difficult thing to, you know, to to allow on any sort of public platform. So the, and but that's you know, then then, you know, then Republicans scream about you censoring them. Right. And so there is kind of a it, it's a dilemma there for sure. And by the way, 
just so you know, Republicans, if you're at a private place and they take you off, it's not censorship. It, right. It's just the private place doesn't want you there. That That's like if you started screaming about your diarrhea at a Starbucks and they, they removed you from the Starbucks, you're not being censored from yelling <laughs> at Starbucks. It's just a business making their business worthwhile. That's how it works. Just yeah. so we're clear. Um, yeah. And, you know, that just that's the thing that that drives me nuts about the way politics works now is that what you just said. I can't be a Nazi, therefore it's censorship. Doesn't everybody agree that censorship is bad? And everybody goes, yes, censorship is bad. Without hearing the first part about the Nazi thing and not understanding that it isn't censorship. So right. all of us that come in and go, no, he should be banned because he's, he's, he's using the N-word constantly uh, in replies to African-Americans. Maybe that person should not be, he doesn't make the world better here. Everybody's like, so you love censorship? It's like, yes, no. It's, I, I always feel like this Lisa Simpson, when they go, uh, when she, if it came out, she was a vegetarian. They're like, you want to marry a carrot? And she's like, yes, I want to marry a carrot. And they go, she admitted it. She admitted it. <laughs> That's the entire right wing all the time, always. Uh, yes, I think Nazis shouldn't be on the platform. Oh, so your love censorship, yeah. you admitted it. It's like, come on, guys. Well, and it's similar to a lot of the COVID stuff, too, where like, you know, I mean, Elon saying that, you know, basically trying to say that people shouldn't get vaccinated because they're going to have heart attacks. Like people die because of that stuff, you know? So like a platform not wanting to have that on, you know, to, to promote that stuff makes perfect sense. And that's not censorship. It's just trying to keep users safe. Right. And, yeah. you know, and they always do the gotcha. Well, things have changed since 2020. Like there are new COVID rules. Yeah. As science happened. Right. Yes. And at any given time, a platform should be doing its best to follow the guidance of the people that know the most. Right. And that change that will change over time. I'm sure Twitter in the during the Black Plague had different advice than during COVID because they went by what they knew at the time. And to to undercut that for no other reason except clout. I mean, there's a special place in hell for the kind of person that, you know, the Alex Bernsteins of the world. Oh God. But, yeah, yeah. Going, I'm just, I'm just asking, I'm trying to help people and just asking questions. It's like, you're killing people willy nilly. And the difference between us and them is that if it came out tomorrow and the surgeon general said, Hey guys, you know what, as it turned out, uh, there is a very, very significant risk of of heart disease with uh, this vaccine. We're not going to suggest it anymore. All of us would go, okay, mm -hmm. good. Let's we figured yeah. it out. Let's figure something else out to make the world a better place. If it came out, it doesn't matter how much evidence come out. Alex Bernstein is still going to be farting out stupidity yeah. at an unbelievable machine gun rate as a way to build his own clout. At the yeah, it's it's contagion. Except everybody on the right is uh, Jude uh, uh, Law. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like well, everybody. And, yeah. They saw they, that movie and said, Jude Law, that's who I want to be. They, they've primed all of their supporters to disbelieve any sort of expertise. So it's all part of a big conspiracy, you know, where it's like, OK, well, the CDC said that ivermectin doesn't help you and actually can harm you. Well, that's part of the conspiracy. And then you know, right. it turns out even with this Hunter Biden stuff where it's like the U.S. attorney who was appointed by Trump said that there was no interference in his investigation. Well, he must be part of the conspiracy now, too. And so. You know, it's just it's easy to always kind of shift the goalposts a little bit to account for new information, but never question your priors at all. And it makes it's, it impossible to refute these people until they get covid and, you know, and um, wish that they were vaccinated because they're hospitalized or something like that. You know, but until they're personally harmed in some way, they're never willing to reassess any of their priors. Yeah, I they always I always say to these guys because they're always quoting all the president's men. They always give you that look like follow the money it's like sure yeah okay so let's just let's just do a, a mental uh exercise how many climate scientists have you seen driving sports cars the answer is zero how many oil executives have you seen flying in private jets the answer is all of them yeah. so if we're following the money who is profiting off of the climate same thing how like they'll watch Alex Jones wearing his Rolex and his double XL's seven hundred dollar silk shirt, screaming about how the the research the the uh, virologists of the world are scamming you out of your hard earned money, 
and then go right into a uh, pitch for natural supplements that will save you from getting COVID. <laughs> and no one watching that show, their little tiny brains can do the click of like, wait a second. Who's really profiting here? Like you and I are part of the conspiracy, Aaron. How are you doing? Are you uh, riding around in a hover car with your uh, money from George Soros? Or are you just uh, living a middle-class existence trying to tell people yeah. the truth versus the people on the other side of this uh, who constantly grift you for money yeah. always? Well, I'm not I'm not getting any of those payouts from Twitter, that's for sure. So uh, I, I oh, wish I had that, that $20,000 yeah, $20, check that the Krasensteins got would be nice. But, Jay, I actually I got to get you out of here. So let, let's, let's wrap up with uh, – I want to give you a chance to kind of promote what you're up to. I know you have a tour coming up. Um, I'm not going to ask you to read all the tour dates because there's a lot of them and that make for kind of boring radio, but uh, people want info about that or to follow you. You're on TikTok. You're all over the place. So the floor is Aaron, yours. I'd like to slowly read out every single show I'm doing <laughs> till 2025. Uh, the best thing to do, honestly, is go to jblack.tv. That's J-A-Y-B-L-E-C-K.tv. Uh, I always say it this way. You can remember it. It's the letter, then the color, then the thing that raised you. Uh, it's got all of my um, uh, social media on there. If you're listening to this, you're probably uh, a big Twitter user. I'm Jay Black is funny on Twitter, but uh, my management really, really, really wants me to get monetized on TikTok and YouTube. So follow, go to jblack.tv. Just follow me. Even if you hate me, even if you listen to this whole thing and we're like, Jay, you suck. Just engage with me. We got to feed the algorithm. Let I want to yeah. be a Krasenstein. I want to get... Well, and. And coincidentally, I think I think your show is going to be the one right here, me and you, that is going to tip me over where I'm going to be eligible for monetization on YouTube because I was within nice. like I was within like 20 watch hours of hitting, you know, like 4000. Right. Um, so I'm excited for that. I mean, I don't think that my show is going to exactly make me rich, but, you know, a, a little bit of compensation for the time and energy would be nice. So that's I, good. Just just so you can tell your wife. Because right. that that's the real tough one. Because my wife is like, "What are you doing this morning?" I'm like, "I'm doing a podcast." <laughs> and what are you getting from it? Exposure. <laughs> sure. like, well, hey. well, but the kids also need exposure to their father. I'm like, I know, but I got to do this. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, uh, Aaron, I got to tell you, and I mean this. You do great work on there. It's a little weird seeing you without a beard and glasses uh, because I've seen <laughs> your little avatar. And I remember when you changed it and everybody got upset with you. They're like, we don't right. like to keep the original avatar. Yeah. Um, but you do really great work on there. And I, you really are one of the islands of sanity on Twitter. Just putting that out there and the sort of people in your replies. I know that Reply Guy has sort of negative connotations, but there are groups of guys, you know, and maybe because I was one of them, uh, that are, you know, really, if not adding to the conversation, it making the conversation more interesting. And uh, you're one of the guys that sort of uh, facilitates that. So it's a real oh, pleasure you, to get to talk to you face to face. Yeah, no, it's really nice to meet you, too. I really enjoyed uh, on your website under some of the the videos. It, it's baby you from like 20 years ago, you know, where, where you don't have your beard and whatnot. And it's like, wow, that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want actually I probably should have watched more of those to see how your comedy had evolved over the years, kind of pertinent to our earlier <laughs> conversation. But uh... or, or don't because it didn't evolve. That would oh, be the okay. worst if you were like, geez, Jay's been the same for 20 years. He sucks. Well, thanks a lot, Jay. Really appreciate the time. Keep up the good work. And uh, thanks for spending part of your morning with me. Appreciate it. Thanks, Aaron. That's it for today. Thanks for tuning in. New episodes of the Aaron Rupar Show drop every Thursday. Please like the show uh, on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and share it with your circle. Thank you for tuning in. 